All right. Well, that was, of course, a clip from the Ghostbusters reboot. Um, I don't know about you, <clears throat> but as soon as that started off, I for days I've had the Ghostbusters theme song in my head as I'm thinking about this. Um, so, of course, in this clip, we see Kristen Wiig's character uh, who plays the this professor at Columbia who has this background in investigating ghosts. But she's kind of ashamed of it, right? Because no self-respecting academic would believe in the paranormal. That's what she says. It, it's just, it's weird. And of course, this is kind of the, the any kind of ghost movie you watch, there, there's always this underlying theme. There, there's at least a character, if not many characters, who, who are like, yeah, we're, we're, too, you know, we're too highly evolved for this. We're too intellectual for this. No self-respecting person with a brain would believe in ghosts. And then they meet a ghost and it all changes, right? Like that's kind of how these things go. But this is how we view things like ghosts, like spirits, which makes talking about the, the topic we're talking about this morning interesting. So we are finishing up a three-week series that we've been on that we've been calling Fuzzy Math. And we're looking at this, this Christian belief that God, the God that we worship, is both one and three at the same time. That God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit eternally, Father, loving Son, loving Spirit, loving Father. That this is the way things have always been and will always be. And this is difficult for us to wrap our heads around, understandably. And we've looked at the Father, we've looked at the Son in, in very incomplete ways. And then this morning, we're going to wrap this up by looking at the Spirit. And again, the, the Spirit is an interesting topic. Some, some have gone so far as to say the, the Spirit is actually the, the forgotten God, the the one of the three that we talk the least about because we're most uncomfortable with it. And you can kind of understand why, particularly if you maybe grew up in a tradition, if, if you went to church growing up or grew up in a tradition that they referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. I, I grew up in a background that used the, the King James Version of the Bible. is the only Bible we could use. And in that, the Spirit is explicitly referred to as the Holy Ghost, which adds kind of another level of oddness, right? Like, how do I engage with this ghost? Uh, can I even do that? Like, what is that like, right? And so it can be difficult, particularly for those of us in the West. Those in the East have had less of a problem with this, but for those of us in the West, it can be really difficult for us to engage with spirit. Father, we have a category for. Son, we have a category for. Spirit, I mean, we have a category for it, but what do you do with that, right? Like, what is that like? On the other hand, there is a growing sense in the West, a growing openness to the idea of spirituality, to spiritual things. But with that, there can be a tendency to go in the direction of spirit is simply kind of a life force, an, an, an energy that exists that's impersonal. It's different than a person. It's, it's a thing. It's a reality. But it's, it's kind of a little bit more like the force. Right? It's, it's everywhere. It, it binds us together. 
but it doesn't quite work as a person. And this is what the, the claim of Scripture is, that the Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity, a person, just as Christ is the Son and there's the Father, like three distinct persons, but one God. I know, it's a little like, what? It's, it's hard to wrap your head around, but this is what the Scriptures teach us. So this morning, I want to I wanna kind of dive into looking at what we see about who the Spirit is, how the Spirit works, and what it looks like for us as people to live in life with the Spirit. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at a lot of different scriptures. Because uh, one of the things that you see all through scripture is the Holy Spirit is present everywhere. Old Testament, New Testament, this is kind of an ever-present reality throughout the scriptures that often we kind of, we, we don't, for whatever reason, it just kind of fades into the background. It's, it's true, it's real, but we don't, we don't really focus on it or think about the implications that it has for our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Spirit, and we're going to look at a, a bunch of different Scriptures and try and piece together how we see the Spirit working in Scripture and what that means for our lives today. So, um, again, the, all of the Scriptures, because we're kind of jumping from one to one, they'll be up here on the screen so you can, you can follow along. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible. Um, if you want to grab one, I wouldn't do it now, but afterwards you can grab a Bible on the counter, take it home as our gift to you. Another thing, if you've never gotten, uh, if you've never gotten into this, I know all of us kind of live on our phones, or most of us live on our phones or devices at some point now. They have a lot of really great free uh, Bible software apps that you can download on your phone. Uh, I have one that's called the version, which is kind of an odd name, but it, it's a cool version. Um, but these are... There's a variety of different Bible apps that you can get on your phone that you can access Scripture um, so that if you don't have a Bible, still great to have a physical Bible, especially if you're a reader and you like to kind of feel the pages. That's, I am that way. Um, but, but you can access it for free, um, and there's a lot of great options. So I encourage you to check that out uh, if that's of interest to you. But we're going to start out at the beginning to look at this person, the, the Spirit, this third person of the Trinity, and to look at the activity, the, the reality of the Spirit in Scripture. So we'll start at Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament. It talks about the beginning of all things. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So in the very beginning, we see the Spirit's presence at creation, right? That, that there's the waters, which the Hebrew for this word is, it's a, the word is tohu bohu. It means wastewater. And so there's this idea of this kind of waste, this chaotic mess that the Spirit hovers over and brings light and life into as you read through chapters 1 and 2, it's kind of this beautiful poetic picture of the Spirit of God bringing order and life and light and beauty into what was disordered and chaotic and dark. This is what the Spirit does. This is how we first meet the Spirit. The word for Spirit used here, the Hebrew word is ruach, which simply means breath. 
the spirit is the, the breath, the, the creative, life-giving presence of God in the world, bringing life and light, order and beauty. And as we go through the Old Testament again and again, you, you see this, this idea of the spirit as the breath of God, the life-giving presence of God. In the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 2, we see this, this breath, this ruach, actually being given to the first human. We read this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. The breath of life, the ruach, the spirit of God enlivening this human, bringing this person to full life. Now, just for a second, humor me. <clears throat> take, a, take a deep breath. Again, one more time. Notice how you feel, right? That there's, there's a bit of like, of energy, of life, of invigoration that you feel when you breathe deeply. This is kind of a microcosm of what we see the Ruach, the spirit of God doing in the world. This, this life-giving spirit, bringing life to humans and to the world. The Ruach of God. Now, this is an ancient uh, kind of orthodox uh, icon showing God giving the Ruach, the breath of life, to Adam. I do recognize it looks like that God is shooting a laser at Adam's face, um, which is problematic. But it is, it's supposed to be breath. Um, and it is, it's fascinating, right? This is, this is kind of a sidebar. But when you see some of these, these ancient Christian icons, the depth in there, uh, when you look at this picture of the Father, what it's intended to do is draw you to think about the Son, right? Because it kind of looks like our picture of Jesus would look and how we often see Jesus depicted in these icons. And so you look at this picture of God the Father who looks like, draws you to think about God the Son, who's breathing the breath of life into Adam. So the, these artworks are, are really complex theological works calling us to meditate on the reality of, of the Trinity. Um, and they look like God shooting lasers at Adam, which is cool too. Um, <clears throat> so, but, but throughout the Old Testament, again and again, we see this, this life-giving creative spirit bringing life, but also bringing vision. We see this spirit often come to the prophets, the people who are speaking the word of God to the people. They're often, the, the spirit is associated with them, that, that God's spirit shows up to give vision, to speak the words of God to the people. We see this with leaders, the various kings or judges or, or leaders, that, that the spirit shows up to empower them to lead. All throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit is working, showing up in people's lives, bringing life and energy and creativity and vitality. There's even, there's this place in Exodus where it talks about they're, they're creating the, the temple, this place where they would come and worship God. And it talks about these two individuals who the Spirit was on to enable them to create lots of amazing 
art for the like the bowls, the vessels they would use. But the reason these two individuals were so good at it is because God's spirit, God's ruach was on them and enabling them to be creative. The spirit is often associated with creativity and art, the ability to, to create beauty where there is none. So we, we see this all through the Old Testament. But then, of course, we come to the New Testament. We come to the life of Jesus. And one of the first things we see about Jesus, once we get through the, the birth narratives in the, the first three Gospels, the first three biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one of the first events that we see is Jesus' baptism. And there's a very specific way that we see the spirit involved in Jesus' baptism. And we'll read out of Matthew's biography, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew says this, After his, Jesus' baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. So again, in this event, this, this baptism, we see the Spirit come to be with Jesus and enable Jesus to begin his ministry. His ministry where Jesus is bringing new life into the world. Healing the blind, giving them new eyes to see. The, the deaf, giving them ears to hear. Raising the dead. Preaching the good news. Because God's spirit, God's ruach, in the New Testament the word is pneuma, but it's the same word, the breath, is with Jesus, enabling him to do this work. Again, in this art, you kind of see some of the, the idea of the Trinity here, the circle at the top being the Father, and then the, the dove as the Spirit coming down, and then Jesus in the river. There's a lot more to this. This is actually a fascinating icon if you look at all the different elements of it. There's a lot more going on there, but we won't, won't waste time looking at that this morning. But, um, but yes, you see the Trinity present even at Jesus' baptism. And the Spirit empowering Jesus to be a, bringing about new creation in the world. This creative Spirit still at work in creating in Jesus. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, he appears to his disciples. And interesting, as a sidebar, as you read through the New Testament, and there's so much in there about the Spirit that we just don't have time to get to this morning. But if you read through the New Testament, it makes it very clear, Paul in his letter to the Romans, that the Spirit was actually there raising Jesus from the dead, that it was in fact the Spirit of God that resurrected Jesus, that brought life and new creation in bringing Jesus to life. The Spirit was the one doing that. But after that, we get Jesus appearing to his disciples, and in a, in a scene that's eerily, or not eerily, but like very reminiscent of the creation story, we read this in John uh, chapter 20. They, the disciples, were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So again, here's Jesus doing this really weird thing. Right? Like this is not what you would anticipate. He's, this is his last time face-to-face -face with his disciples. He's getting ready to send them out to carry on his mission in the world. And what does he do? He breathes on them. 
well, why is that? Well, because he's giving them the life-giving spirit, the, the spirit of new creation, the presence of God to be with them as they carry out the mission of Jesus. Because the spirit enables them to be like Jesus in the world. Because remember, this is Father, Son, Spirit. Three persons, one God. Jesus is not the Spirit, but they are the same God. And so when Jesus is at work in the people, in his people, living out the mission of Jesus, what results is the life of Jesus coming out of these people. The spirit at work in and through these Jesus followers brings the life of Jesus out of them. The spirit makes them like Jesus. But it's not just for them, of course. It's for everyone. It's, it's a gift. In one of the earliest scenes in the, the Acts of the Apostles, which is the, a book in the Bible that's about the history of the early church, we see the Spirit show up in a really unique way with some of the early followers of Jesus. There's about 120 people at this point who are, are left. Jesus has resurrected, he's ascended, and they're kind of on their own trying to figure out what do we do, where do we start? And at that moment, there's Luke writes in, in Acts that there's a rushing wind that the Spirit, the presence of God shows up in a very unique way where they, they begin speaking languages they don't understand so that other people who speak different languages can understand the message of Jesus. And at the end of this, Peter, one of the, the disciples, stands up and he kind of preaches a sermon. He let, tries to let people know what's going on. And Peter says this in Acts chapter 2. He says, it says, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. The Spirit, this this life-giving presence of God, eternal presence of God, here from the beginning, from beyond time, is a gift to those who put their trust in Jesus. A gift given for them and for the world. And those are the best kinds of gifts. So a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I had a birthday. And my family got me, um, they got me grilling stuff for my birthday. And Grilling gifts are the best gifts because I really like to grill. Now, um, I, I, needed, I felt like I needed to prove this to you, so don't worry. I'm going to leave the undershirt on. Um, but uh, I actually have a shirt with a grill on it that says, man's best friend. Um, I know. So that just says to you the, the level at which I enjoy grilling. Now, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I do like it. Right? And so it's, it's just, I don't know, I don't want to get, like, kind of overanalyze this. I've never really thought about it. But I just, there's something about being there, kind of, like, you're kind of out on, I'm on the back deck, and so I'm kind of by myself, and, and I'm, I'm trying to do this well, but I'm also just enjoying the experience, and it's just a good time. But the thing about grilling is, if you're good at it, it's, 
a blessing to others as well, right? And so, like, my, my kids and my wife got me this grilling stuff because they know I love to grill, but they like it when I grill, right? And so if I do it well, if I'm attentive, they also got me, one of the things they got me is a, a meat thermometer because I don't, I don't have a good one, right? And so I just kind of skip it, which can be good or not. Uh, so a meat thermometer allows me to pay attention so that I'm cooking the meat well, so that when you eat it, it's got the right amount of juice and flavor. And I'm going to stop talking about grilling right now because you're all getting hungry, me too. But the idea is it's a great gift because not only do I enjoy it, but it's, it's a blessing to others, to people I care about. And of course, it's a silly example, but, but this is like the best gifts are gifts that are both really good for you and good for others. Not just gifts to be enjoyed selfishly, but gifts to be shared. And this is what we see in the Spirit, that the Spirit is given as a gift to those who put their trust in Christ, but as a gift for them and for the world. Not something just to kind of be enjoyed, but to be shared. It's a gift to, to followers of Christ in that it welcomes those who put their trust in Christ into the love life of the Trinity. Listen to, uh, to how Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read this as I rebutton my shirt because you've all seen that now. Um, so Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The spirit brings us into the love relationship that the Trinity is already enjoying. The Father loving the Son, loving the Spirit, bringing us into that eternal self-giving love. We are brought into the love, the relationship of God by the Spirit. Adopted into God's family. Part of this, this flow of love that has existed beyond time, that will exist forever. We're welcomed in by the Spirit. And as we are, we are changed. And, and you know what this is like just in kind of normal, everyday relationships, right? We see this dynamic uh, with parents and kids. Parents typically enjoy uh, a certain intimacy with their kids. Now, obviously, we've all had different experiences uh, with our parents. But in, in the best, most, hel most healthy situations, Parents are involving their kids in their lives in a way that other people don't get, get access to. There, there's intimate moments, there's things shared that other people don't get to see. So for me, few people besides my kids have ever heard me sing at the top of my lungs to certain songs. My kids have seen that. Few people enjoy, um, the, get to see some of the humor that I enjoy. Not because it's inappropriate, just because it would bore you. Um, but my kids get to see that. I don't, well, I, I make you listen to stories about basketball a lot. Um, but it's not the kind of thing that I carve out lots of time to do with people. I've skipped important basketball games sometimes for meetings I need to be at. Which for you, you're like, yeah, that's life. For me, that's painful, right? But my kids spend time watching basketball with me. And so when you look at my kids, you know, they're not clearly not carving copies of me nor are they of my wife, but you can see elements, like you can see 
that my son enjoys corny jokes and, and cheesy humor, which isn't entirely me, but comes some from our relationship and how we relate. My oldest daughter loves you too, which makes my heart sore. And that's at least partly because of how much I force my kids to hear you too when they're in the car. Um, my two youngest daughters love basketball because that's what they do with me. And you see in their lives these, these, these things that are true about who they are because of the time spent with me. And this is, this is a, a reality for people, but it's a reality for us as we are brought into the love life of the Trinity, as we are brought into relationship with God, we begin to become like God. Richard Rohr, the author and priest, says it this way. He says, we always become what we behold. The presence that we practice matters. As we are brought into this this love relationship with God, we are made in God's image. We are made to reflect the character, the nature of God in our lives. So the Spirit brings us into the life of God and brings the life of God into us. But just like the Spirit lives in eternal self-giving love, but that love overflows to others, the same is true for us. As we're brought into this, this flow, this love of God, this love flows out from us to others. In fact, what happens is we get invited into God's work of bringing new creation in the world along with God. We partner with God. We walk with the Spirit. In fact, the most common way the New Testament talks about what it means to be a follower of Christ is to be someone who walks with and in the Spirit. To be someone who lives in the presence of the Spirit of God, bringing life and creativity and light and beauty into the world. We partner with God. We walk in step with the Spirit. We listen for what God is saying and how God is leading. And so as we kind of draw things to a close on this this very short and insufficient look at the Trinity, I think one of the most helpful things for us moving forward would be to think about what does it look like for us to actually live in step with the Spirit? What does it look like for us to walk with the Spirit? And I think while, while there can be several ways that we kind of approach that, I think one of the fundamental ways that we, we need to start thinking about this, that the scripture invites us to think about this, is as people who are living in constant, regular communication with God. People who, regu- who are regularly listening to what the Spirit is saying and how the Spirit is leading. Now, this is one of those topics that can get really weird really fast. Because the moment you start talking about God speaking to you, bad things can happen, right? Like, number one, people typically think you're crazy. Um, Number two, people who say, God told me this, often have an agenda that they're using, uh, kind of leveraging the God card to kind of add some weight to. We see that with cults a lot, right? Like, if you say, you know, God has said to me, 
um, it makes it difficult to question you. And so it can be kind of dicey to, to begin to, to think about assuming that we can hear from God. But just because something's abused doesn't mean that the thing itself is wrong. It may just mean that we need to think again about how we engage with it. Because regularly throughout Scripture, what we are told is that this is what life looks like. That the normal human experience is one who walks with and listens to and responds to the Spirit in regular, active communication with God. Uh, Dallas Willard, author and pastor, says it this way in his book, Hearing God. He says, People are meant to live in an ongoing conversation with God, speaking and being spoken to by him. God's visits to Adam and Eve in the garden, Enoch's walks with God, and the face-to-face conversations between Moses and Jehovah are all commonly regarded as highly exceptional moments in the religious history of humankind. Aside from their obviously unique historical role, however, these moments are not meant to be exceptional at all. Rather, they are examples of the normal human life God intended for us. God's indwelling his people through personal presence and fellowship. Given who we are by basic nature, we live, really live, only through God's regular speaking in our souls, and thus by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Willard is suggesting, and I think based on Scripture, rightly so, that the normal human experience is for us to be living in constant conversation with our Creator, with God. Yes, talking, but also listening. Regularly engaged, believing that God is present with you and at work in you, through you, around you. Living as though it's actually true. I, I worked with a guy one time who, he, he told me, he, the way he did this, the way he kind of uh, lived this out, was that whenever he encountered someone and he felt like he should talk to that person about faith, particularly about Jesus, he just assumed that that was the spirit. And so he did it. And I was like, wow, that seems kind of like a big assumption. What would make you assume that? He said, well, let's face it. I would never on my own ever want to have that conversation. It's too awkward. It's too uncomfortable. And so for me to want to do that, I just assume that prompting must be from God. Now, granted, sometimes that led to incredibly awkward conversations. Other times... It led to incredibly meaningful, important conversations that were significant for the people he spoke with. And what it did is it constantly put him in this sense where he believed he was part of something bigger, something that God was doing beyond him. And it wasn't just about talking to people about faith. This was also someone who was deeply involved in justice work in in his community Um, He was leading in a couple of different areas, uh, helping people kind of think about what it looks like to live out their faith in their communities, to do good work, to make a difference in a way that is long-lasting for the community as a whole. And in all of that, he believed that the Spirit was at work and leading him. And so he was regularly listening and trying to figure out what might God be saying and how can I act on this. And for many of us, that sounds 
different, but this is the picture of the human life we get in Scripture. It is what we see again and again. Now, it's not always a voice. In fact, it's, in our experience, very rarely a voice. But often, it's promptings, urges, maybe thoughts that we might disregard or just assume kind of came out of nowhere, but are really invitations to join God in what God's doing. When Paul talks about what the life of the Spirit does in an individual, he talks about it in terms of the fruit it produces. In, uh, in his letter to the Galatians, he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if this is the distinct fruit that the Spirit brings, then it's fair to think that whenever you and I feel inclined towards love, feel inclined towards peace, kindness, patience, gentleness, that these are not just simply abstract ideas, but that these are invitations from the Spirit to join him in his creative work, bringing life and light into the world. And so two things as we close that I would encourage you to consider as we kind of move out from here thinking about this idea of this trinity, this three persons, one God, inviting us into this loving flow, both for our good and for the world. Number one, I I would invite you to consider living this week with expectation, to expect that God's spirit might actually be saying something to you, to expect that you are being invited to partner with God in some way. Expectation is key in hearing. I know this because I'm married. And sometimes I don't expect my wife is talking to me. I think she's talking to someone else, right? And so when I think she's talking to someone else and not me, I'm not listening as well as I should. I'm thinking about maybe what I'm going to grill later or what I'm going to do, right? But it's hard to listen if you're not expecting the person is talking to you. But if we live in an attitude of expectancy that the Spirit might actually be saying something to us, then we're much more inclined to to hear how God is moving and how God is inviting us to partner with him in this creative work. Malcolm Mudridge, Muggeridge, I'm sorry, says it this way. says, every happening, great and small, is a parable whereby God speaks to us and the art of life is to get the message. Every happening, great and small, is a parable whereby God speaks to us, and the art of life is to get the message. The invitation to walk in the Spirit is an invitation to live as though God is always speaking, and our job is to open our ears and listen to how God might be inviting us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And then secondly and finally, I think we need to take risks. Um, Sometimes we need to choose to do things that we might avoid because they feel awkward or uncomfortable that are actually invitations to join God in what he's doing. And again, I'm not saying be weird, um, but there might be times when you feel an inclination to pick up the phone and call your friend who you know is going through a hard time. But I don't know, that feels a little, feels a little awkward, maybe a little nosy. Or, or maybe you feel inclined 
to step into a situation where there is conflict and try to, to help bring peace. Maybe you see a situation and you have a vision for what can make that better. I don't know, it's different for all of us. But I do believe that most of us pass by opportunities to join God in what God is doing because it feels like it takes too much energy. It feels like the risk is too great. Doing that thing, having that conversation, starting something new, being willing to share my idea that might get shot down feels like a risk. But the only way we're going to be able to really partner with what God is doing is if we're willing to step out and take risks, if we're willing to do things that feel hard. Because it's on that edge that the Spirit often meets us. When we're looking to live out of love and kindness, goodness, bringing life into the world, it's in those places that most often the Spirit, we, we meet with the Spirit because the Spirit's already there and at work. And so we're really just joining with the Spirit and what He's doing. We need to be people who live with expectation and who are willing to take risks. And if we do that, if we, if we do that, I guarantee you, we will become more aware that, that God is not distant, that God is not some far away kind of, you know, the old man sitting on a throne just watching everything unfold, but that God, by God's spirit, is present and active in us, through us, in the world. And that we're being invited to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. So I'd invite us this week to live in expectation and to take some risks. Um, we're going to take a few minutes now to interact. This is, as we're wrapping up this series, um, we're, you know, kind of want to open it for anything from this morning or anything from the series as a whole. Uh, if you've been with us and you've had some other questions that have come out of the series, uh, feel free to raise those. Um, Katie will have a mic. Uh, there's also, we, you have the phone number on the back of your bulletin, which you can kind of text a question to if you have one. I wanted to throw this up just as kind of something to, to reflect on, even as we bring questions. Uh, we've used this quote before, but I love it, and I think particularly for this, it's, you know, it, it works. This is from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Earth crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pick, pluck blackberries. And it's this idea of being expectant. The part of how we have eyes to see is that, and ears to hear is that we expect that there's something being said, that there's something to see. Let me pray for us, and we're going to transition to a final song. Well, Father, thank you for the opportunity to at least kind of think a little bit, to, to sit in wonder over the, the triune God, the the reality that you are Father, Son, and Spirit existing in eternal self-giving love and inviting us to participate in that love as part of your family, as people through whom you are bringing new creation into the world, life and beauty and light. Would you give us courage this week to expect that you would speak to us and to take risks to live out in love and patience and joy and kindness and goodness. Help us to walk in step with the Spirit. Help us to have a growing awareness of your presence with us, in us, through us, and with our part in the work that you're doing in the world. We ask in Jesus' name.